Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Not another under-collateralized shitcoin. What? Oh, but it's only occasionally under-collateralized. That's the way yeah, it is with most, most banks in the United States, actually, depending upon when you take the snapshot of their uh, financial institution. Well, yeah, plus they've got a backstop, so there's a difference. The Fed will come in and save them. Right, that's true. Because according to Neil Kashkari, they can print infinite amounts of money. They have infinite amounts of money they can print. You know, it's interesting. Um, they, they talk about lots of people in TradFi talk about, you know, that Bitcoin has lost 85% of its value and blah, blah, blah. They never talk about the fact that the U.S. dollar has lost 99% of its value. I love that guy's eyes when he does that infinite cash thing. He's just, you know, I mean, I know. Oh God, it's the best. I know what you're talking about. That video of Neil where his eyes, he's got the crazy eyes. He's like infinite amounts of money. (laughs) Yeah. The double Sampaku eye when he's thinking about all that super cash. (laughs) Yeah. Funny. Some crazy stuff going on in the world. We're going to start right out with the edgy stuff because I know there's a portion of our audience that loves it when we talk about that. Um, So, (laughs) you know, that thing about at one point there were politicians that were essentially saying, hey, uh, you know, there were public figures that were claiming, you know, a year ago that there were U.S. intelligence agencies that were interfering with the the con the conduct of free speech on social media platforms. And uh, that was poo-pooed as a conspiracy. As it turns out, tur- you know, it's so weird how all these conspiracies turn out to be real. <sighs> how odd. Matt Taibbi has a thread explaining how they're... Co- I mean, they set up a signal channel to coordinate, apparently. The FBI... Uh, who is this guy? An industry call, they're doing a call on Signal. This guy, Chan, whoever the hell this is, supervisory special agent on CY1, Elvis Chan, circulated private numbers of the company's chief moderation officers in a Word doc marked Signal phone numbers. And this is how they basically coordinated the censorship of people on social media. How odd, how strange. Can't be happening. It's just too weird. So so I read through the thread, and by the end of this 
the, by the end of this threat, the the uh, the U.S. government is requesting Twitter to ban individuals with um, uh, with communications that are less than a paragraph long, that just vaguely refer to some kind of uh, of of Russian connection or some kind of uh, organizational uh, connection that would uh, fit the appropriate language for the policy with the internal Twitter policy. Or even if they just follow an account, right? So in other words, like, you know, when I first started using Twitter, I used it to, to what I call gather intelligence, meaning I, I would just use it. I, I would use um, TweetDeck and you could set up lists and you can create categories. Like if I wanted information on geopolitics, I would have a list on geopolitics. I throw a bunch of names in there of people who might tweet out something that might be interesting, you know, and it's kind of like a way to curate different topics of content on Twitter. Well, under that policy that they had, <clears throat> if you simply follow some account, you could get banned for that. How insane is that? That's crazy. The, the, the lizard people are, have, are, are, were temporarily in charge of the asylum is what I call it. Here's another example of the lizard people in charge of the asylum. So let me, let me find this. So apparently, <clears throat> where is it at? Oh, I know. So Jordan Peterson, here we go. Breaking. This is a tweet from Jordan Peterson. By the way, some people don't like Jordan, Jordan Peterson, GFY. I love the guy. I, I, you know, I think he's done a lot for, for a lot of young men who are kind of searching and trying to figure out life. And like, he's been one of the most grounding individuals and kind of uh, voices out there, in my opinion. So he goes breaking the Ontario College of Psychologists has demanded that I submit myself to mandatory social media communication retraining. What the fuck is that? Like, what? What? Retraining with their experts for, among other crimes, retweeting Pierre Polivare and criticizing Justin Trudeau and his political allies. Well, this is full-on... 1984 thought police craziness going on right now. That's unbelievable. They want to strip him of his credentials, you know, as a doctor, because he doesn't match the ideology anymore. Dangerous stuff, man. And it also, you know what it reminds me of is these periods of history with mankind where you have certain people who are the quote experts. They've got the robes and the holy scepter and the holy water. And they determine what's right. And if you disagree, oh, you're a heretic. You must burn. Yeah, as a Twitter user, it was wild to see in real time, like in 2020 or, you know, that era. And like everybody was freaked out about COVID and people generally just like looking for information. And like, yes, there was all, you know, kinds of misinformation from all sides coming from all different places and whatever. But just as like a regular Twitter person, you're there and you're like looking at stuff. I mean, it was crazy to see it. Like somebody would say something. And then if it had even like a little like slant out of the, the approved narrative that they were trying to push, boom, it was gone. Or like the account was gone or whatever. And then, you know, it's, it, 
it was just like crazy to see like they they how how far they were willing to go it's like you weren't even given a chance to agree or disagree or anything i mean of course you can go elsewhere to find these news sources but i mean you're on twitter and just watching them delete all that stuff and ban all that stuff in real time was crazy to me yeah and apparently they banned two, over 250,000 accounts based upon these these you know whatever these secret intelligence tribunals who are just pointing out account we don't like this guy ban him 250 more than 250,000 accounts got banned that way it's crazy you don't think that had an effect on the on the <clears throat> on the social sort of conversation it's crazy it's really crazy and, and the thing is a lot of these folks genuinely believe that they must silence the opposition because the opposition is crazy. So they're, they're afraid that, that people who have an opinion are going to virally mentally infect other people. And it's bad for humanity. And the danger of this obviously is, is that if the, the way I look at it is just give us all the info and let us decide, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're grownups here. Their, their whole belief system is, well, he, you know, these guys can't be trusted to think right. That's very dangerous stuff in history. Very dangerous. Yeah, it gives you a little insight too the the fear that they must feel on some levels trying to control this, like, huge populace of people, you know, and all these different, like, I mean, especially, like, over here with all, I mean, everybody's packing and everything, like, and everybody's so like into freedom and and how far we'll push it and our sovereignty. And I, I'm staying here in Texas too. I mean, it's like, it's definitely like that around here. So it's gotta be hard to like be in charge quote and try to control these, you know, all this stuff. And I mean, I don't have sympathy for it, but I'm just, it, it was just so funny to see it happen. And then of course now to see all this stuff with the embedded FBI agents and whatever, I mean, we're all docs. Do you guys know that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. Like, even even those of you who think you're nons here on Twitter, guess what? You're not. <laughs> so you might as well just give up that anon shit and, and go with your public... Pro I'm just kidding. Do what, do well, what you're going to do. <laughs> you know, and the fact that the, that the FBI is using signal, unerasable and untraceable communication platform that's just fucking scary yeah i don't know man bitcoin is the way it's like we've been saying all along bitcoin's the way it's the way forward uh good morning tone vase good morning lisa huff good morning neil jacobs out in the audience throwing you an invite we had joe carlos air in the audience a few minutes ago if he comes back I'd like to get him up here there's a couple of topics that i think he might be able to weigh in on and add value. Yeah, I'd love to ask him questions on the whole grayscale thing that's happening. That would be awesome if you can come back. We'll see. Uh, so quick intro. Good morning. Welcome. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. This is episode 252. The uh, you're ready for some stats. Ain't you? The Bitcoin impenetrable force field level is at 254 exahash estimated. A oh, man. Uh, one year, three months from the having. Pretty excited about that. The countdown is on. Uh, you can get over 5,000 sets per USD. I didn't check the exact number this morning, but you're not too late. 
And then finally, remember, if there are no fees, you are the product or exit liquidity. I'm talking about exchanges that are trying to court your dollars and your Bitcoin. Don't fall for it. Don't do it. Um, okay, let's dig into some news. First up, global investment manager BlackRock has recently provided Core Scientific with a loan in order to continue operations during these rough market conditions, according to BCT Times. That's pretty cool. I like Core Scientific. No thoughts on those guys. Let's we'll keep rolling here. Uh, SBF has asked a judge to keep his bail guarantors secret. This was also mentioned by Neil in the morning news. Interesting, huh? Hmm. Who could they be? Anybody have any thoughts on that? I mean, at the first thing, right out of the gate, it's like, who are they trying to protect? Who are they trying to hide? The conspiracy and the lizard people and you know, who's what, which one of the central bankers is bankrolling this guy, you know? But then the politicians, I mean, Nancy Pelosi has a few billion laying around. <laughs> I mean, but the, the argument was made that, you know, around harassment, like, what do you guys think about that? Like, I mean, it's a valid thing, right? Like, we don't yeah. want these guys to get harassed. But at the same time, it is shady as hell, given everything else with that guy. There's a lot of shady stuff going on. I, I mean, look, there's a lot of people in our society who still has a lot of faith in the judicial process. Um, there's tons of them in this room right now. And I mean, look, I'm not criticizing any of that. I, I just have a different opinion. You know, I look at the, the, the current situation that's out there right now. And like, I don't know that the justice system is even working anymore. I'm not trying to be, uh, what's the word, dramatic or, or, um, I'm not trying to stir some crap up. It's just what I think looking at it. it I'll remind you, you know, we have a list of, of names from the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. There's a list. Not a single person has been charged. Not a single person has been arrested. No one's been being prosecuted. Like we know who these people are. Just reminding you all of that. And and nothing's happened. Can you can anybody give me a plausible explanation as to why? Do we actually know, or does the court know? Yeah, we don't. Like, know. I don't know. Okay, fair point. But do you understand what I'm saying? The court knows, but no one is being charged or prosecuted. Is my point, right? Can anyone <laughs> give me a plausible explanation for why that's not happening? I'll give you a minute. If you're in the audience and you can hear my voice and you have a comment, come up here. I'm open. I would, but I'm so happy right now. I don't want to suddenly become sad <laughs> against my will. Alex, it's a it's a criminal legal system. It's not a justice system. Oh, see, I've stored the I've stirred the hornet's nest. All the yeah, I mean, people well, are, they, are requesting to come up right now. Well, like they do put murderers away. Hi, so Alex. because they, they because they get fired. On anybody, yeah. But um, did you hear about that thing with? Uh, the uh, prosecutor general or somebody in Bahamas taking JP Morgan to yeah. court for, for that and it got uh, squashed. She lost it her didn't, job. Didn't get squashed. She got fired. She got fired. Yeah. Because, yeah, but they were, well, after you, what would be the result? Them. What would be the result of that? If they, if they, if they opened up a court case with, an, with ties to the Ghislaine Maxwell situation, what does that cause for those of you who are, legally minded you know tone you would know what, what's the Discovery. problem with that? 
Well, discovery. Uh, you just subpoena everybody and the information becomes public. Yep. So coincidentally, apparently, Biden was down there on vacation in that area and she gets fired. <laughs> you can't make it up, right? I mean, <clears throat> some people, I guarantee you, there are people in the audience right now that who are still going, oh, these are just a bunch of conspiracy theories. You guys are conspiracy nuts. Like, all you ever do is talk about conspiracy theories. It's like, God damn, like, wait the hell up. What do you think is happening here? Oh, uh, I don't know. Yeah can, yeah, can we just get back to Signal for a second? Oh, real quick. Sorry, Lisa. And um, sure. for the last, I don't know how many years, I don't know, I've been telling people stop using Signal. It's one of the least privacy apps ever. And everyone keeps telling me how safe Signal is, uh, just because a few Bitcoin Core developers used to work on it. Um, I think Signal is terrible. I think WhatsApp is potentially worse. I don't think these apps oh, have WhatsApp's any privacy or any, or any encryption whatsoever. The only app I like, the only app I like is Telegram. And everyone's trying to tell me how bad that is. Telegram has two options. Yeah. It, it tells you this is the non-encrypted one, and this is the secret chat, which is encrypted. But the main reason why I like Telegram is because it was created by a Russian. So I know it doesn't have no backdoor to the U.S. government. Yeah, I like all that and everything. But the thing I still don't like about services like Telegram is that you can't use a throwaway number. You can't use like a second line or any of that kind of stuff. They they want you to be, and I get it. They have all these laws and whatever, but fuck it. I don't like it. Like I would rather use uh, WeChat, uh, the Chinese one, right? Because again- Dude, what are you? Okay, we've identified the, the foreign operative. No, but I'll tell you why. Because- I'm not a threat to the Chinese government. I don't even talk about China. And I know that shit ain't got no backdoor to the U.S. government or any Western government. So my communication on there is perfectly safe for what I needed. And I don't care uh, because because I'm not not an issue to the Chinese government. They're they're not going to come knocking on my door. All right, let's move on. I think we've firmly moved outside the Overton window of a lot of people right now. So before we lose any more of the audience, let's continue. Lisa Huff, good morning. You had something you wanted to add here. I was just going to add to the uh, the comment on BlackRock. So, and good morning and happy new year, everybody. Been a long time since I took a spaces break. It was so nice for the holiday. Uh, but so on December 28th, um, you know, BlackRock provided that injection to Core, but it's actually their second uh, sort of injection for Core. They did uh, 30, I'm just trying to look it up, a $38 million convertible on Core. They were the largest shareholder of Power and Digital Infrastructure Acquisition Corp, which is a blank check SPAC, which merged with Core earlier this year. So, I mean, it's just like the continuation of the signal, right? It's not this isn't like a oh my gosh now the institutions are coming in. I mean they've they've been in. Um, I think J.P. Morgan was the leading uh, sponsor for a deal uh, with Cipher Mining. I mean they're they're definitely in it, and it's great to see that they're they're digging their heels in. Well, I mean, is that like a is it is that like uh, markers of of institutions basically putting pieces on the board at cheap? You know, what I mean they're buying up or or taking positions on the cheap. Yeah. I mean, I think just, you know, not speaking for the financial institutions, but 
you guys know I talk to the energy companies on a daily basis. I mean, those guys are way more interested in Bitcoin at 16,000 and trying to figure out the mining industry than they were when Bitcoin was 69,000. I had a really interesting meeting with an independent last Lisa, do you, do you think that that's a function of what the price is or, or, or that's just because that's where we are right now where people are starting to figure it out more? I think it is people figuring it out, right? The company I spoke with last week has 16 million a day of gas that they're flaring and they're beginning to realize that, uh, that Bitcoin indeed might be magic internet money. It might be a magical way for them to get rid of Wait, what? They're flaring $16 million worth of gas right now? A day? Oh, sorry. 16 million MMBTUs of gas. Okay, what does that translate to in dollars? Do you know? uh, uh, Gas is, I don't know what natural gas is. God, I can't even believe it. It's like $5 in MMBTU right now. So that's how it trades. If you're you're in the uh, industry, do the math. For us a, up here. A futures contract is 10 million a day, right? So one futures contract is 10 million a day. So it's like one and a half futures. I mean, it's not a huge size, um, but it's a, but it is, I mean, it is significant dollars that will fall to the bottom line when they figure out Bitcoin mining, which they are quickly, quickly trying to do. It's not a huge size, Lisa, but when you multiply it by multiple companies and, and everything else, I'm sure it gets big quickly. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is a decent size, right? I mean, I used to trade natural gas. I mean, it's it's been a long time, but it is a decent size. If, if you have 16 million a day of production and you're like a mom and pop producer, I mean, that you don't have to work, right? That That's a great, uh, that is a great producing well. And these guys, that's what they're flaring every day. Well, and, and then there's, there's two parts to this equation, right? There's the emissions part and then there's the profitability part. So ExxonMobil announced last year, which is huge. ExxonMobil is the largest energy producer in the United States of America. And they announced last year that they're rolling this out across four countries. So, and, and their reasoning from my understanding was to reduce their emissions footprint not necessarily to capture the bottom line, but once they figure that part out, I mean, that's just kind of a no-brainer, right? It's like, here's free money. Oh, you don't want the free money? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, I often say the future of the energy industry is the energy industry, and the future of the Bitcoin mining industry is the energy industry. It's those, Those two are getting married, and they're never getting divorced. Yeah. And then think of all the innovation it's going to continue to drive. Like last year was like the year of of energy innovation being driven by Bitcoin mining. Bitcoin miners trying to source basically inefficient power, which turns the power efficient, if that makes sense. For those of you who are new to that conversation, basically something like 50% of generated power gets lost in transmission. You can only move electricity so far without losing substantial quantities of it and so therefore there's there's this concept of stranded energy where you have an energy producer somewhere some power plant or something that's making energy and to get to the actual population centers they're just losing tons of it and then there's the the other part of it which is uh base load during off-peak hours and then you have peak usage and you know all that kind of stuff so it's turning out that bitcoin is really really good for human energy production in general which is really fascinating. Hey, Alex, Joe is back in the audience. 
Yep, I saw him. I threw him invites. Every time he jumps in here, I'm spamming him with invites. Would like you to come up, Joe, if you want to talk about it. We've got uh, the Gemini DG, DCG situation, if you're interested. No obligation, obviously. Hey, guys, I'm going to hop down, but I'm so glad to hear your voices again, Alex. I hope you had a good good break. Um, Highest high signal show in Bitcoin. Awesome that you guys are continuing the... Uh, continuing this educational two-hour session every day for all of us. You bet. Thanks for help for being up and thanks for the kind words. It was definitely a great break. Good morning, Jim. Server Jim, what do you got? Uh, yeah, good morning, Alex. Uh, I got I to gotta add to what Lisa just said. I have to thank you guys for always doing this. I always learn a lot. Um, I, I asked to come up here when you asked quite a bit ago, the general question, what the heck is going on here <laughs> after some of the stories you talked about? And uh, this is not something that, uh, you know, I'm going to teach any of the speakers on this stage. But I did want to for posterity, because this gets recorded for anybody who isn't fully aware of it now or might hear this in the future, that it's all tied to the broken money. Um, you know, the censorship on Twitter. The, you know, Sam Bankman Freed getting bailed out and people not wanting to know who did all that. So many things that are broken and corrupt are because some people control money. And through that, they control people that control narratives and they can spin stories and they can hide things. and They can just pay everybody off to make sure that certain people always get away with certain things. And I, you know, a lot of people kind of get all that and they want to, they, they, you know, they, they, kind of believe it but they don't see the solution and of course us in the bitcoin community recognize that the possibility exists that if the world adopted a, a a currency like bitcoin as everybody's money then those people that have the ability to produce money with no effort and control people through that production lose that advantage and therefore more of the truth actually comes out in the world because being able to pay people off allows the truth to be fudged and then all kinds of things are broken and people's lives are ruined because that happens. And so I don't, uh, you know, I don't see any way out of the crazy dystopian 1984 world that we're heading towards without the money being fixed and without Bitcoin uh, being adopted worldwide. And, and I, you know, it's part of the reason I join these spaces every day. I want to keep this message going out there. I want people to hear what I just said over and over and over. It's because the money's broken. Let's get it fixed. Everybody get on board. Come on. Like you always say, get on the mission. Um, just a couple other things real quick. Something you said about Jordan Peterson getting his credentials revoked. One of the things that's good about the world, that's, that's a truth in this world, is that the man's the man's intelligence cannot be taken away simply because another man decides his credentials no longer apply. Those were things given to him by another man to begin with anyway. Uh, and so it's irrelevant whether he has credentials or not. If his intelligence works, if he's got smarts, it's, he's still got value on this on this earth. It's sad that the world works that way, that some people can decide if you're valid anymore which is kind of what that sort of means. And once again, it's because people can control a narrative and get other people to accept that that man is no longer smart because another man said he doesn't have a credential. It's absurd. So I just, I felt like just venting on some of those things. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm going to step down. I'm trying to get work done. I'm heading into Lowe's right now to get some building material. And I'm sure there's plenty of other people who got more important things to say than what I have to say. So th thanks again, Alex. I love this every day. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for coming up, Jim. Love you, buddy. Um, and what he said, I agree with 100%. And, and one other thing before we jump here to Joe, 
and uh, Tone talk more about the situation with DCG. Um, this is just my opinion, but for free thinking people, when they see the ideologues doing things like decredentializing people like uh, like Jordan Peterson, free thinking people, it's actually destroying the ideologues' credibility for for free thinking people. It's not. It's the opposite effect of what they think is happening. Like all the drones are going to be like, "Oh, Jordan Peterson, bad," but everybody else is like, "Wow, you guys are a bunch of douchebags." Um, all right, moving on. I'm going to lay a little baseline stuff for what's going on for people who aren't following it, and then we'll jump into this. Gemini co-founder, uh, one of the Winklevosses, Winklevi, um, is claiming that DCG has acted in bad faith, and uh, Silbert has replied to this. So Cameron Winklevoss alleged Barry Silbert and DCG have engaged in stall tactics ever since Genesis Global Capital, a wholly owned crypto trading platform, halted withdrawals back in November. So there's some, there's a big outstanding loan, $900 million to Gemini earned customers and other creditors. Um, and, and basically he's saying that Silbert is not cooperating. And he's in his letter, he says, you continue to get into a room with us to hash out a solution. In addition, you continue to refuse to agree to a timeline with key milestones. Every time we ask you for tangible engagement, you hide behind lawyers, investment bankers, and process. They further allege that Barry has taken $1.67 billion from Genesis to fund share buybacks and make investments in illiquid ventures to make grayscale trades. I don't know about all that, but it's pretty wild. Uh, so Joe, do you want to weigh in here with some thoughts? Uh, yeah. So uh, first off, uh, happy new year, everybody. Hope you all find health, wealth, and happiness in the new year. Um, and thanks for having me up, Alex. So, uh, from my standpoint here, it's really hard to know without looking at the source documentation, much of which was not public. Um, I mean, I, I did see Barry disputed this notion about the 1.6 billion from Genesis. And he said that DCG has never missed a, a payment to Genesis since current all loans. Um, you know, you, you're not going to know some of this stuff until at least um, a couple of weeks from now when we get some new quarterly filings. Um, so it's you know really hard to sort that out. But in terms of just the credibility uh, test, I would probably side just, you know, gun to my head with the winkle eye. I actually trust them more than I do Barry Silver. Uh, I, I'm more interested on the efforts I know of at least three groups, one of which is Valkyrie, that is focused on uh, efforts to organize and remove the sponsor from DC, uh, GBTC. That's really what I've been looking at, um, one of which I'm, I'm intimately familiar with, but I uh, can't yet talk about publicly. Uh, the couple other ones that are talking publicly, I think that's far more fascinating. Um, hopefully that uh, actually snowballs into something real. All right. Open floor. Like whoever else has anything. Yeah. Tone, Matt, hey, Brad. Yeah. I got a, I got a question for you. So uh, I was like preparing for this so I can talk about this slightly more intelligently. Um, have you read the lawsuit by Fur Tree uh, Value Master Fund against yeah. Grayscale. So yeah. I read that thing, and to me, it just sounds like uh, 
complaint letter uh, on the same level as Winklevoss twins, I don't see a lawsuit there. Like it, uh, like well, like I think this stuff is completely silly. Like, uh, like look, we're not happy with Barry. No one likes Barry. He's a total shit coiner. Uh, he screwed up with a bunch of his businesses, but he is running GBTC the way it's laid out in the prospectus. And I know we don't like the fact that this has like a negative 46% discount. And if there was a legal precedent, uh, I know what's his name, uh, David Bailey put out that form. I just got it yesterday. Uh, I was uh, talking to a few insiders on this this morning. I just can't drop any names. Uh, the Redeem GBTC, if you go to website Redeem GBTC, I know I hold several thousand shares of GBTC. I know it's not much, uh, but I'm going to fill this thing out. I would love to see Valkyrie take over management. Like uh, Basically, uh, uh, Barry Silver has not yet mismanaged GBTC itself. And I think these lawsuits against GBTC, uh, I mean, I, I, I think it's... Uh, it's I, I think people are upset. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk, talk. It's really simple. This is this is silly. So, for for folks that don't, just by way of background, um, folks that don't understand what Tony's talking about, he's talking about this complaint, and I think it was filed um, mid mid early December, where basically they're saying, well, this redemption bar for the shares to destroy the shares that that is self imposed. I mean, it's been going on for many years now, back to I think 2014, 2015, that that's inappropriate and they need to they need to um, eliminate the, the self imposed redemption bar for the shares, which would help the shares come back to closer to NAV. Uh, the problem with that argument is if you have that issue, go get 50% of the shares and remove the sponsor. That's your remedy, that's your right. To file a lawsuit over this is ridiculous. I'm sorry, I would never file that suit. I think it's absurd. I think you you should you should go get the 50% of the shares like some people I know are doing currently. They're trying to get the control of the entity. They may or may not be able to do so, but if you do get the shareholder behind it, that's your remedy and relief. You don't need to go file a lawsuit and make these half-cocked arguments. Yeah, oh, I, so we agree. That's great. <laughs> so question, <clears throat> at this point, could Grayscale just change that rule or bylaw and basically, and because my understanding is they've already made a change once, once <clears throat> for other things. Could they, could they do that, Joe? Could they basically say, yeah, you know, absolutely. instead of 50%, it's now 75%. Oh, you're talking about the, the you're talking about the trust agreement that says that shareholders. You know, yeah. In order to change. Yeah. To replace the sponsor. Can they, can't they just change that? They, they changed something before. No, they cannot amend that that registration statement without the majority of the shareholders voting. That is hard and fast because think about but it. They, it's, but they're the majority shareholder, Joe. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, That's what I I'm mean, saying. But, but 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 okay. Listen. So they're the majority shareholder, right? Which means they have the majority of the exposure for holding the shares. How is that inappropriate? If you're the majority shareholder and you want to do self-imposed economic harm on yourself, go do it. Because you want to extract the premium and take the, you know, the two percent fee every year. Fine, you're hurting yourself if you're the majority shareholder. And I don't, I don't necessarily know that's true. I know that they're they're probably the plurality holder. I think they hold a huge chunk of it, but I don't think they're a majority. If you count all outstanding shares, I may be wrong on that. I mean, just think about it. What you're saying is that they hold the majority of the shares, which are trading at an extreme discount to NAV. 
So how is that not, how is that in their interest other than, you know, efforts to support uh, the entity and extract the premium? Well, no, no, but uh, what Alex says, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say it, but if they are the majority shareholder, they would basically make sure no one else can become, uh, if someone else becomes a majority shareholder, they can't, like, they, they would need like a bigger percentage to change the rules or take over management. Correct, correct. So, you know, here's the thing. These things all get written down. And in many ways, a security at its core, what a, whole, what a security really is at its core is a contract. Um, and that's, there's plenty of precedent on it. At its baseline level, when you buy a share, you agree to the contractual rights and rules and privileges and, uh, of, of being a shareholder, right? That, and you have remedies imposed by the agreements that are underlying that have to be filed with the SEC. That's the whole basis of, of what you're buying into. You're saying, I'm going to profit, you know, this is Securities Law 101, right? I'm going to profit from the entrepreneurial or managerial efforts of other people. And I'm going to do so, but I have defined rights and those have to be filed and sometimes amended with proper regulatory agencies like the SEC. I have the numbers in front of me, actually, if you're curious. As they hold 67 million shares, digital currency group. So Barry Silbert is holding 67 million shares. The next biggest holder is ARC with six and a half million. So they have 10 times the next biggest holder. Now, this, what, these numbers what, are as of end of November. Like a good what's total outstanding? Time. What's total outstanding shares? I got a, I got a Google Doc. Yeah, you want to, yeah, you want to, if, if you say the sixty-seven million, yeah. and then what's the total outstanding? That tells you. I, I, I would be surprised if they actually were the majority. That, that's and then, then your your chances of getting a new sponsor in there are non-existent. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's actually a lot. So six hundred, so it's almost seven hundred million shares. Yeah, so that's nothing, guys. All right. So, so in other words, this this idea, this effort to to somehow get fifty one percent of the shares to vote to replace the sponsor is possible. Like that's not something that they can basically fight a retreating action and say, "Well, we're going to raise the percentage of shares you have to have in order to replace the sponsor." This is a possible. It's a possibility. It's, it's, it's possible, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be impossible, actually, <laughs> because remember, Grayscale holds 10% and they're the biggest. The second biggest holds 1%. So somehow, like the world of people holding, like myself, who holds a few thousand shares, uh, somehow we got to get everyone like me to agree. It's like doing a hard fork. Yeah, it's a 51% attack on GMTC. You You have to... You have to get the retail investors, and there are a lot of hedge funds that hold GBTC, tons of hedge funds. You have to get them coalesced in a massive PR campaign. And the problem I see now is I think there's, like I said earlier, I think there's, there's three to four different groups, one of which is Valkyrie. They're pub they were publicly talking about this yesterday. They're all bidding, right? And they really should coalesce and work towards one single sponsor, somebody that could actually take it over. That That is the way to do it. The other option, just to Keep people's hope what? alive. Just one, one second. Um, the other option is if there is a, a bankruptcy filing uh, of of Grayscale, if the entity Grayscale fails, they will necessarily, by the by the documents I found, they will have to resign as sponsor. So you get a new sponsor on there. So Grayscale itself. That, has would, to be awesome. that would be absolutely awesome. Yeah, Valkyrie and Three IQ. Those were the two. Those those will be the two companies that get my proxy vote. I don't think anybody else would. Brad, good morning. Um, 
Bit Bitcoin Magazine, I think, or whatever uh, the fund. I think. What is it? You I think they're working with Valkyrie. They're, they're they're working. With, I think they'll work with Valkyrie. Why do you Brad, think? Did you have a? Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to ask y'all, like, or anybody really, why aren't these folks trying to work together? Like, it seems almost like they're just they they realize they're not going to be able to succeed, and they're just doing this for PR or something. So they I, have I, to do it I think they are. Uh, but Joe, Joe, what do you think? I, I think they no, are going to work so, together. So look, okay, to corral an effort like this, it takes money, right? You have that's at its core. It takes money to actually achieve this. You can't. It's not going to be people just doing it on, on their own without a professional um, uh, outreach and, and coordination and, and and media outreach and so forth. So to do that, okay, if you're going to put up money towards that effort, just like political lobbying or anything else. You want to make sure you gain, right? Like you want to make sure we are the front person for the replacement sponsor. You don't want to put up millions of dollars to coordinate an effort and massive lobbying campaign for retail investors and then have somebody else have all the benefit of it, right? That that would not make economic sense. Yeah, there's there's a math equation here at some level. And it's gonna take some, I mean, this is this is this is not a new thing. Like we're all talking about it, speculating, but I mean the idea of these kind of sort of hostile or or investor activist takeovers is not new. This has been, you know, this has happening been happening for many decades, right? Um, it was going to take one of these groups of people who understand how this stuff works to come in with enough pay, bankroll to make it happen, essentially. And there's a math equation, right? There's there's a certain amount of premium they're going to be able to extract by doing it, and it has to be greater than what they're going to spend to do it. It's got to be worth the yeah. use. It's got it's got to be worth the squeeze. Alex is exactly right. But one thing I'll add, too, is that if you take this effort and, and you're a savvy actor, right, if you're thinking about this and you're trying to say, OK, there are these rumors of, you know, DCG and it's again, I'm going to emphasize and can't I don't want to spread flood, but potential issues with their solvency. Right. So if you're thinking about timing, in addition, to just the is the juice worth the squeeze is now the right time to make that hard push or is it on the time where there is truly a rush for additional liquidity? And you have to balance that from a strategic standpoint. Like maybe why, why throw these guys a life preserver right now? Because it will it will probably take some buyout. You, you will probably have to buy out some of, um, just to get to over the threshold, some of DCG shares. Um, so that you think about that too. Like with the state of the markets where they are, if somebody was really trying to acquire this as the sponsor and get that juicy 2% premium, um, is now the right time or is it six months from now? Is there some play, uh, and I'm just kind of tossing this question out there. Maybe you guys would think through the scenario. Is there some play by which, um, they can collect, the the difference between the current discount and the actual value of the bitcoin the only way that the bitcoin can leave the trust pursuant to the trust terms is by sale for fees so that's how it leaves once it goes in there it's stuck now the only other thing i think to answer your question was if they get rid of the self-imposed rule about redemption of the shares um, that could potentially narrow the discount by self-imposed, you mean this is a decision of the sponsor or correct. or correct. So in other words, if they change the sponsor, the sponsor can decide, okay, well, we're gonna get rid of that stupid rule and we're just gonna redeem it's gonna be an administrative nightmare, possibly. I mean, they'd obviously have to set up the logistics and the rails to do this, but 
they could redeem in Bitcoin theoretically. Yes, uh, that's what. Uh, if you read the proposal from Valkyrie, they're actually so they did a couple of things, and this can help them. So first, they want to if they become the new uh, what do you call it sponsor of GBTC, they're going to lower the the fee that uh, right now Grayscale charges a two percent management fee, so they get to sell two percent of the Bitcoin. Uh, they're going to lower that to 0.75. So they're going from 200 basis points to 75 basis points. That creates a lot less incentive for the manager of the trust to not to allow redemptions because now they're not going to be making as much money by holding on to all that Bitcoin. And they're suggesting that they would be looking to create these redemptions in either fiat or in Bitcoin itself. If it's in Bitcoin itself, that's amazing because that does not put selling pressure on Bitcoin spot price. If it's in dollars, uh, then that will put pressure on uh, Bitcoin spot price unless they can do it OTC. But even that will put extra pr- a little bit of pressure on the Bitcoin spot price. Now, will the SEC allow them to redeem this stuff in Bitcoin is a whole no, other question. They will not is the answer. <laughs> They're going to be forced to redeem in fiat. That's a pie in the sky sort of proposal. Be great. I'd love it, but it's not going to happen. But, it, but you know what, Joe? But you know, Joe, but I love that proposal because that proposal, along with dropping the fee from 200 basis points to 75, may actually get them that 51% attack, right? Like it may get all of us like, like, oh, there's hope they can redeem it in Bitcoin. And then they're going to say, well, the SEC said no, right? But it's okay. Like, I'm happy that they're trying. <laughs> Does anybody know off the top of your head, what's the US dollar value of the Bitcoin in the trust right now? Well, we know how many Bitcoins there are in the trust. Uh, that's publicly available on their website. Yeah, I know. That's why I was asking. Does anybody know off the top of their head what's the value? Yeah, about six hundred thousand. Point seven five is still pretty, pretty hefty. Uh, little cash flow. Not yeah, only I mean, that, it really, it should really be in line with the GLD, in my opinion. I think it should be down closer to forty bips. Um, that's what GLD charges. That's a physical, you know, asset that they have to hold and transport. I think right. that, you know, why, why are they? Why are you charging 0.75 even? Well, well, they claim they tra- they're charging point four, um, 40 basis points, right? But there's a, there's other ancillary charges in there. I'm not going to get into that. But the sponsor of GLD actually makes 15 basis points, I think, unless they change it from the last time I read it. That's what they Doesn't... make, but 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 the same is true with like the point seven five. That's not going to be their their profit, right? Because they do say they claim they have operational expenses. Yeah, and and in and regardless, I mean, if if the if the stack is big enough, even fifteen basis points is a shit ton of cash flow. <laughs> you know, when Bitcoin's up at, I don't I don't know I don't know how they're basing this, but if I mean Bitcoin's back at a hundred grand. Um, per Bitcoin or goes, you know, passes the last all time high. I mean, and then it goes even higher. I mean, we're talking into the future. If you're a long-term thinker and this thing sticks around, even 15 basis points on enough, on enough assets is a ton of cash flow. Go ahead, Brad. Um, I'm just wondering, like, does this actually have any sort of realistic chance of happening? Even if 
digital currency group goes under, like with all their problems with Genesis and Gemini and you know all the, all the all the things that they've done that is blowing up on them. Digital currency group could go under, but Grayscale could still survive. I mean, isn't that the only thing that's actually making them money, really? Correct. It's a separate legal. That? I'll just say because I see Boston has a stand up. It's a separate legal entity. So Grace or DCG filing uh, for bankruptcy protection would not necessarily cause a similar filing from Grayscale. And what the trust terms say is that Grayscale has to have a forced liquidation event to be removed as the shareholder, or excuse me, sponsor, removed as a sponsor. Go ahead, Foss. I'll have the numbers as well, if you want me to throw out exactly how much they have. So it's uh, 692,000 Bitcoin, uh, currently at 10.5 billion AUM. So I, it's Foss. I was just going to uh, give Tone Vase's uh, numbers. And I want to, so well, well done guys. Um, GBTC is not going bankrupt. <laughs> you can basically manage a fund at 15 basis points, uh, provided the funds big enough, but that's about as low as you can go. Alex, there's people that get down to seven basis points, but that's a loss leader. Okay. 15 basis points is a huge, uh, is a huge fee on, on this fund. Uh, 200 basis points is gravy. Now here's the, actual smart thing to do it's trading at a 40 plus percent discount to nav you get some big account that goes in there that wants to own bitcoin i've said this before that wants to own bitcoin and puts an issue bid at a 25 percent discount and then they get majority control of the trust it's a five billion dollar trust right now you know getting majority control of five billion dollars is really not that difficult for some big ass accounts okay so you get majority control then you unwind the trust then you take the bitcoin out and you self-custody bitcoin that's the play for a big account that needs five plus billion dollars of exposure to bitcoin Brilliant. it's pretty simple so yep. yep like if you wanted to come in in, in size you wanted to buy five billion dollars of bitcoin this would be the, be the way to do it. You're basically buying Bitcoin at a massive freaking discount to spot. So you buy it without telling anyone up to 10%. Then you need to disclose to the market you own 10%. As soon as you disclose to the market you own 10%, you go instead of a 40% discount, you go 25% discount bid. You see if anyone fills your boots. Then you go 15% discount bid. And you see if anyone fills your boots up until the point where you get majority control. If you don't get majority control, you turn around and you flush it. And then you go, hey, who's smarter? I got more money than you guys, okay? So if you want to fuck around and try and front run me, you can own all my Bitcoin I bought at a 40% discount. And I'll stuff your shoes at a 20% discount. But someone will win this okay. fucking game. Yeah, but I don't think, Quick that, question. I don't, I don't Is think it? that works. Because, because if you were to gain majority control as the sponsor, and then I think you, you said wind down the trust, you're not going to be able to take physical custody of the Bitcoin. You're going to have to liquidate for cash for any any outstanding shares that you don't control. So you have to sell it. Well, that's fair, Joe. But all of this still works for those shares you want to keep, right? And and all I'm, I'm, I'm throwing this out, guys. Look, $5 billion is not a lot of money. It used to be a lot of money. It's not a lot of money anymore. Uh, just a comment to Valkyrie. They know what they're doing. 3IQ, I'll reserve judgment. I don't know why Tone Vase thinks they know what they're doing. But at the end of the day... Valkyrie knows what they're doing. 
Uh, Valkyrie, Steve, is a very smart guy. Uh, my vote would be with him. Uh, yeah, Greg, I'd love to know more. I like 3IQ. I know the guys at 3IQ. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to do a side chat with you about Don't that. Don't forget, I was a founding shareholder of 3IQ. I think I probably know a little bit more than you do, Tone, but I'm not saying anything. Okay? So oh, no. uh, uh, well, I know. That's why I wanted to have a chat with you. <laughs> it's, one of the, it's, it's one of those reasons why I'm like, hey, I like 3IQ. And Greg was uh, there early. And Greg is like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> There's a reason I'm not there anymore, Tone. And uh, I'll just leave it at that. Thanks. All right, so doing the math, 692,000 Bitcoin in the trust out of, let's call it 17 grand for easy numbers. Um, even at 15 basis points, that's 17 million a year in cash flow. I promise you, you can profitably run a fund for less than that. Now, do the same numbers with the Bitcoin market cap 10 times where it's at today. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's all gravy. By the way, yeah, but guys, oh, sorry, Joe, Joe, just, I, I hate to play devil's advocate. Do the numbers with Bitcoin at one half of what it is today, right? I mean, you, you don't buy a fund because you think the asset itself is going higher. Just make sure. I don't know, Greg, you tell me, can you, can you run a fund? Like even on those numbers, 18 million. So that's 9 million a year. Can you run a fund on 9 million a year? I think you could. Uh, depends if you have other funds, but no, you couldn't run that fund that profitably if that was the only fund you had. Well, it, it, not profitably. I mean, no, no, that's survive? the key. It's the key. Would it well, survive? Okay. The key could you is could you make your expenses at nine million a year cash flow? Yeah, if you only had one employee, probably. But don't forget all the <laughs> fees. Don't forget all the fees that you have to put in, and all the regulatory fees, and all the all, the filings aren't cheap. You guys, running a fund is not as cheap as you guys think. Anyway, at the end of the day, look, we're talking over nickels and dimes here. Let's not get too smart by a half. This thing is stupid cheap. Someone with big money should come in and narrow the discount. And then you, just like everything, there'll be, regardless of what the price does, Joe, and, and I, I don't, I still think Bitcoin goes higher, obviously, but at the end of the day, you would not buy GBTC uh, as a play on Bitcoin going higher as much as buying GBTC for an arbitrage opportunity for approximately two and a half billion dollars. That's what gets me excited. You don't have to predict the, the, the direction of Bitcoin. Right now, there's two and a half billion dollars sitting there for someone to capture. It's not risk-free, but it's doable. And it's pretty doable if you have big money. And there's a lot of people that have big money that need to get exposure to Bitcoin. I just would pitch a couple of Canadian pension plans, but you know what? They'll figure this out after some smart U.S. pension plan does okay. it. Okay, here, here, here's a it. here's a question for Joe on the legal side of things. Can't the sponsor simply amend their prospectus and say, "We're going to allow redemption in Bitcoin," and then just file it? Can't they do that? No, they can't. Why not? Because the SEC is not going to allow redemption in Bitcoin. They're not going to allow you to take Bitcoin from the Bitcoin Trust. The whole idea well, was. Go ahead. Well, okay. When you say not allow, what I'm what I'm asking you is can't they just change their own rules and then file it what's going to stop them hold, from doing that hold, hold on the sponsor is different from the rights of the shareholders right the shareholders are the ones that have to amend many of these registration statements and other documents they have votes they have to they have to decide this the sponsor merely carries out what they're legally empowered to do by the relevant documents 
Do you, do you understand that it's, that's the distinction? Yeah. Okay. That makes, that makes sense. I, the reason why I'm a little confused on this topic and trying to figure this out is, is that we did a show with Sam Callahan prior to the, the holiday break and we kind of deep dove this subject. And I, I, I'm recalling if I'm not mistaken, that one of the options was they could just redeem in kind. So, so maybe I'm wrong about that. I'll go back and revisit that. I'm just, I'm just trying to get clarity on it. Joe, why, why don't they allow redemption in Bitcoin? And are you familiar with the uh, T zero situation where Patrick Byrne tried to issue a security token dividend through T zero? Yes. And he tried to yes, do it properly. Yes. Uh, so, Let's let's put that aside for a minute. The 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 actual reason is you're gonna you're gonna run into a six B violation in the physical redemption of Bitcoin, and that's the SEC's jurisdiction. There's no way they green light that, and they're gonna say it's an improper ETF structure. Can, can I throw out one more well, like devil's advocate thing here? Because I know Greg just mentioned you may be able to run this with like fifteen basis points or twenty basis points. Do you really want to get cheap on protecting 700,000 Bitcoin. Like, I, uh, like at some point, I mean, I, I know these fees, like I know like the management fee on the S&P 500 ETF is like five basis points or 10 basis points or something. But managing that is a lot easier than protecting 700,000 Bitcoin. Hey, hang on, Tone, they don't manage it, right? Like just practically, they contract it. Isn't it Coinbase Prime that custodies for uh, GBTC? Yeah, that's true. But but at least they were smart enough to choose like Coinbase Prime, right? Like, how much does Coinbase Prime charge that this should be public? I have never looked it up, but how much does Coinbase Prime charge the GBTC? Based on what I know from uh other closed end funds, it is uh more than fifteen basis points. Okay. So I'll just say that's why these are it's not cheap to run a fund, guys. So you know, you got to get your custodians. You got to understand the filing, the regulatory fees, all of that. 15 basis points is pretty skinny, regardless of how big the fund is. So paying your custodian, I know what we paid at 3IQ. I'll just let you know that it's not as cheap as you may think. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of laughing in my head that I like, like I was thinking highly of 3IQ. I had no idea Greg Foss was longer there. And Greg Foss was like, yeah, Tone, I don't know why you're thinking highly of 3IQ. Well, uh, Greg, like 15, it, what we were talking about before is 15. We were comparing it to GLD. So 15 is the, is the amount that goes to the sponsor. Yeah. But the yeah. fund itself is running at 40. But here, guys, right? you, look, I, I don't want to hijack, ETF, I I don't wanna hijack an amazing conversation, okay? I, I just, I want to listen to Joe. Joe is the expert. I want to listen to other people's ideas here. But I will just tell you, 200 basis points, which is 2%, uh, you know, that's pretty profitable, but don't jump down from 200 basis points to sub 50 basis points just because you think you can. It's not that easy. That's all I'm saying. The bigger picture here is, guys, though, please un stick with me and Joe and everybody. There's two and a half billion dollars sitting on the street right there, right in front of you. When I say the street, it's not Main Street. It's actually Wall Street. But this is what Wall Street is supposed to be good at doing is arbing out opportunities in things like this. Two and a half billion dollars is a good day's work. Okay, I promise you there's some big funds that are looking at this and doing it. And is Steve in touch with these funds? You know what? Steve also from Valkyrie used to be a shareholder of 3IQ, a tidbit of information that you may or may not know. Isn't that interesting? My money okay, so is Steve. Separate question then. Um, you know, Greg, you were talking a little bit about like if somebody 
wanted to come in and, and do this. Is this illegal, Joe? Can can like four, you know, you know, one guy with four of his allies, you know, each take a 10% or right up to a 10% position and take the 10% and then announce? Is that illegal? Yeah, I mean, it is, it is legal. Okay, so I, I like the idea of um, that Foss has here. And, I, and, I, and let's, say, let's toy with it, okay? Let's say I've got $6 billion lying around and I want to come in and I want to buy this thing and I want to buy as many shares, set the bid uh, until I can acquire uh, the 50% plus and basically at that point I'm in full control of the entity. Let's assume that is all true, okay? The question I would have at that point is that I don't think you can take physical redemption of Bitcoin. You can certainly dissolve the trust which would require, by the current um, documents, a liquidation of the Bitcoin. Um, now, if you went OTC, I mean, I, I just think about it from, a. I guess my biggest concern would be, if we were analyzing and talking about this and trying to enact it, if the market can withstand the selling pressure for you to liquidate that amount of, much amount of Bitcoin. I don't know if it could. I think that would be absolute, um, you know, that would cause a lot of panic. Okay, Joe, okay. guys. Here's so a scenario. Just, uh, one yeah, sec, Greg. Well, one okay, sec. One ahead, sec, Greg. Ahead. So to continue the thought at line of that scenario, okay, one guy and four of his buddies all accumulate 9%. They get to 10% each. They announce. They get control. They replace the sponsor. They have majority shares. Can't they just change the rules of the trust? Yes, absolutely. So they don't have to sell into cash. Correct. They could basically change it and but then do exactly what Greg's talking about. about. They can change the rules, but not to the point of Bitcoin redemption, as Joe mentioned earlier, because of an SEC thing. That's an SEC rule. That's not that's not the legal rule. Oh, Being in proper okay. ETF structure. But, but, but can Foss, can I add, guys? Yeah, Joe, like, yeah, absolutely right. But don't forget, you can be both sides of the trade, right? The key thing here is you want to be an owner of Bitcoin. So the mechanics of getting it into your account after you have to dissolve the trust or not, that's, you know, that, that's not too difficult. You can, you can dominate an OTC trade. You can basically say, uh, by the way, I know that there's this big ass bid, uh, sorry, offer coming out because we're dissolving a trust. Oh, and by the way, here's my bid. Because by, I by the way, that would be an interesting sort of 3D chess game of how to depress the Bitcoin price and buy a ton of Bitcoin for the cheap, right? Because if, you, if you're dissolving the trust and you, know, you create these rumors of flooding the market, whether through OTC or otherwise, and then you can buy Bitcoin on the cheap. Big players could buy it. You know, yeah, I, I, that, that might be getting too smart by half as well. I promise you, as soon as this game starts, the price of Bitcoin goes higher because everyone doesn't want to miss this trade, okay? It's just the way Wall Street <laughs> yeah. works, okay? God, it's you know? reminding me of that conversation. Like, Wicked keeps bringing it up. You know, that's, it, it, this is hearsay, right? Because he wasn't there, we weren't there. This is like third you know, kind of whisper down the lane story. But Jason Lowry did a talk at MIT, apparently, to the Bitcoin club there, where he was recounting his experience being summoned to the White House to brief the White House on Bitcoin. And he, after he explained to them what it was, they asked, well, what do you want us to do? Just buy half the Bitcoin? He's like, you can't do that. You've already lost that war. I'm here to help you negotiate your terms of surrender. I'm paraphrasing, re-quoting, so I wasn't there. But that that is just my, you can't do it. You can't, I mean, even even if somebody could pull this off, 692,000 Bitcoin is what percentage of the outstanding total outstanding is not that much. You just can't. There's also one more thing in this, right? So when someone's, if someone's going to try to buy 10% of the, because right now Grayscale owns 10%, CDCG owns 
If someone else is going to go in the open market and try to buy 10%, that discount is going to significantly shrink closer to par. The reason why Grayscale was able to increase their position from 20 million shares to 60 million shares while still dropping the discount to be more of a discount is because BlockFi and 3AC were imploding and they had to fire sell their GBTC shares. If there is no fire, if there is no seller of GBTC that is forced to sell the shares, someone is coming in now to buy 10%, that uh, discount is probably going to move all the way to 30 instead of 45. That's yeah. just my guess. No, no, you're, you're exactly right, Tony. And that's what people need to understand. One of the, the reasons you have this steep of a discount is because of the current state of affairs of Bitcoin and the larger quote-unquote crypto market, right? If we're, if we're in a bull market and we're north of 100K, you're not trading at a 50% discount on GBTC. It, it, it's yeah, just, but, but at, at the current like, paradigm that we're in right now, we're definitely not out of the weeds on a GBTC discount because DCG is the largest shareholder of GBTC. And if they're you know, insolvent, say, or they're having liquidity issues, they're, they're still going to probably have to sell GBTC. Well, that, that, Bingo. that goes back to my comment. That goes back to my comment earlier, Brad, which was, I was talking with Alex about, like, you know, if you're, you're trying to do what Foss is talking about, you're looking at this salivating saying, when's the right opportunity? It's not just the amount of money. It's like timing, right? If you think that we go lower because of the economic deterioration uh, through this year, and you see, you think other players go down and they hold GBTC, they're going to fire sale, right? So why throw them a life preserver now and set the bid? Why not do it when you can buy the scraps? Unless it goes the other way, right, Joe? Look, guys, <laughs> let's remove the direction of uh, Bitcoin here and just talk about a 40-plus percent discount. Yeah, you don't tell anyone you're acquiring them, Tone. The shares, I mean, until you have to disclose, which is 9.9%. So you go into the open market. Why is it trading at this price? It's not because of the price of Bitcoin as much as the four sellers, Three Arrows Capital, and those other knuckleheads, Okay. What will get the discount to narrow? A large buyer who goes in and says, now they own 10%, and I bought my 10% at a 40% plus discount. Oh, and this is what I just said to you guys. And by the way, I'm now negative 25% bid, which yeah, means, yeah. and then you narrow it to 25%, and you see if there's another cowboy that says, well, screw that. I'm not letting Foss get them. I'm, 20, I'm negative 20% bid. And all of a sudden, Foss says, well, this guy thinks he's a cowboy. What about all the ones I bought at negative 40%? Okay, sold to you at negative 20%. And Foss leaves the, the game until it widens back out. Or else this other cowboy has bigger boots than Foss had. So all of a sudden, the other cowboy has it at 20%. Now he says, well, I really want to own 50% of it. So I'm minus 10% bid. And all of a sudden, he owns 50%. And then the game is over. So it's all about who's got the bigger boots, who's got the bigger guns, whose timing is not always the issue, Joe, because as, as the price could go down, it equally likely could go up and it could make the it doesn't change the 40% opportunity that's sitting right there. And that's what I think people need to understand. I'm going to step yeah, down. I'm going to step, okay, go ahead. Before, one question before you go, and, and I don't disagree with anything you said there. I just, given where things are in, 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 from a macro standpoint, and the uncertainty around this year, people still seem focused on risk off. And do you think big players, they're not stupid, are going to do that right now in a risk off environment or are they going to wait? I mean, that, that's uh, just great a great question. Opinion. 
Yeah. Okay. So look, for some players that are going to wait, there's other players that just say, I got to get in. And the best time to get in is when no one else wants to get in. And, and look, I just need you to understand people, not Joe, because I know Joe understands this. When you manage a trillion dollars, $5 billion you find in your couch cushions in your CEO suite. Okay. $5 billion is not a lot of money. We're trying to get too smart by a half here on an amount of money that really is a rounding error for some big players. And if you want to know who owns a billion dollars or who owns a trillion dollars of assets, well, you can look at the top five asset managers in the world, okay? They do. And then you can go to a CalPERS or a Canadian uh, you know, CPPIB, Canada's largest pension plan, and you can also see that a $5 billion investment is not a big deal for those players. So, you know, it sounds like a lot of money until you actually manage a lot of money and then it's not that much money. So, Joe, it's a great conversation. Please, you guys keep going. I'm just bringing a trading aspect to this. I will tell you, if I managed a trillion dollars and I love Bitcoin as much as I did do right now, I would look at it and say, pretty simple trade. Yep, pretty simple trade. Thanks. Hey, Greg, I just want you to know I just looked at my couch and I found a quarter, so I'm a little disappointed. Well, that's okay because that's still less than uh, 1% of your net worth, right? Same thing at a trillion, right? What's 1% of a trillion dollars? Man, this has math. been a great convo. Hey, Greg, thanks for hanging, man. Like you can hang, 10, you can stay up, million? you can go down, whatever you want to do. Let's hit announcements really quick, um, and then we're going to keep rolling. I got another subject I'd like to talk about, unless you guys want to keep on with this one. That's fine. Uh, uh, I you have, have one, been... one question, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Go ahead with the announcements, though. Sorry. You can ask your question now. I'll do it after. Okay. Well, yeah, I was just kind of wrapping this up on, like, 3IQ versus um, Valkyrie versus whoever else is going to try to do this play. Um, as a Bitcoin maximalist, I don't know if I feel comfortable with the idea of either of those funds that have Bitcoin products taking over the biggest Bitcoin product. Like, wouldn't it make more sense if like Nidig or somebody like that did this play where it was like they're going to focus on Bitcoin and they have a proven like track record of focusing on Bitcoin only? Wouldn't that be the better the better play here? Like, shouldn't we support that? I don't know if it matters if we support it or not, Brad. <laughs> I mean, you go ahead and call up, uh, I guess, Ross and see if he's interested. Yeah, I'm just Brad, curious. Just look like, in your Brad, just look in your couch and see if you can find that uh, you know spare five billion. Well, what's the what's the uh, you know what what I get why Greg prefers Valkyrie over three IQ hundred percent. I agree with that. Um, but you know Valkyrie has some shitcoin products too, and wouldn't it be better to see a Bitcoin only entity do this? Yeah, probably. I, I don't know. I don't have any control over that. Foss. Probably. Tone, what do you guys think? Well, I would just say this. A trillion dollars is a trillion dollars, and neither Valkyrie nor 3IQ have that. But at the end of the day, 1% of a trillion dollars, you guys do the math, you'll realize that, oh, my goodness, yeah, I need the whole fund. I need the entire GBTC just to get 1%. So that's what makes life exciting. And... I'll just say, you know, your conversation has been amazing. I think that this takes a while to permeate the executive suites, but once it does, there'll be a race to get this done. Ross Stevens would be the ideal candidate, in my opinion. Ross Stevens has his own problems right now. 
Um, we want the big asset managers of the world to get involved, Brad. I do anyway. Why? I would love to see PPIB, Canada's largest pension plan, to own Bitcoin on behalf of Canadian pensioners everywhere. I would love them to own all of GBTC. That's just me. I'll let other Canadians determine, you know, how smart the CPPIB is. But when they go, you know, when you have Ontario teachers putting $400 million into some of those, uh, you know, whether it was Celsius or those other uh, scams, uh, you'd think that putting a billion into uh, GBTC or $5 billion into GBTC should be a pretty, uh, pretty simple trade. So that's, that's what I'm bringing, the, the argument. Yeah, totally agree with that. At some point, at some point, these folks are going to figure it out. Um, I wonder how much that has to do with whether Wall Street like allows them to, quote, allows them to or not, but we'll see. All right, let's hit announcements and then we'll keep rolling. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you've never been here before, we do talk about Bitcoin. The place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. If you can't catch the live show on Twitter Spaces, which we do every morning from 7 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern, roll for two hours. You can also catch the podcast up on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple through me or Swan Follow to be notified of when those drop. I work with Swan. Swan's awesome. Swan has an app. Go download it, rate it, review it. If you like it, I like it. There's no shit coins. Uh, what else? Swan. A lot of people don't know. Swan IRA is live. Like we've been kind of, you know, piloting it, kind of doing it on the download for the last uh, six months, eight months or whatever. Pretty soon you're going to be able to do a one-click account opening for a Swan IRA. If you already have a Swan account, that's coming. I might get in trouble for telling you that, but um, it's very close. The Swan IRA is already working. You can do a manual application for that. We can get you set up with that transfer, rollover current retirement accounts. If you're interested in lo learning more about that, shoot me a DM. It's pretty cool. Also, Swan Advisor Services, this is now a thing. We're currently onboarding registered investment advisors and financial advisors all over the United States of America. This is a huge market. Boss is going to understand this. So is uh, Tone. Uh, we're talking 10 plus trillion dollars worth of value. I think it's higher than that. I think it's closer to 20. That is managed by these RIAs and FAs. And what's been happening is, because I've talked to a bunch of these folks, the clients are asking for the Bitcoin. The clients are saying, can you put Bitcoin in my portfolio? And a lot of them are like, no, I don't know how. And they're basically saying, look, you either figure this out or I'm going to go find an RA or FAA who knows how to do this. So this wave of capital that, that you know, Greg and I have been talking about over, on this show over the last while now, it's coming, guys. 2023 is going to be an interesting year. Go ahead, Peter. Hey, I just want to tell people, um, you know, I'm not paid by Swan, but I just want to tell people that that I last year created self-directed IRAs. It is a very cumbersome and expensive process. Um, and anything that you can do to uh, get friction out of if you're thinking about moving your IRA to uh, a Bitcoin or or creating Bitcoin in your IRA like that, anything that you can do to reduce the friction involved with that is um, something that is absolutely amazing. A one-click IRA creation uh, for Bitcoin is pretty frictionless. It took me almost a, almost two months to move assets from my where my uh, IRA was being housed to my self-directed IRA. Yeah, I can vouch for this. I watched him do it. He also jumped through about 30 rings of burning fire. 
<laughs> and I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm very proud that he was persistent enough to go through the process. But anyway, one more quick announcement, and then we will roll into our next topics here. And that is tomorrow, don't miss Cafe Bitcoin. We've got some very special guests. Asher Garfinkel and Fran Finney, yes, the Fran Finney, are going to be on the show tomorrow. Renewing is special. They're doing Running Bitcoin. It's an ALS fundraiser, um, excuse me, fundraiser for Running Bitcoin Challenge. And uh, it's going to be an awesome show. I'm hearing rumors that a lot of like OGs and, and people are going to be dropping in for that. So very excited and hope you can make it tomorrow. I'm super pumped for that one. I got to tell you, I'm like bursting with excitement. Yeah, it's very humbling. I'm, I'm, I'm very humbled that, it, that it's happening. Very excited for that. Yeah, it's, you know, there's, I was thinking about it last night. I mean, there's just, you know, not to get off topic, but just real quick. I mean, there's so many, like, things that, like, I want to know, but like, that I also just at the same time don't even want to ask, you know, out of, like, respect and privacy. Like, it's just going to be really cool. I'm really excited about it. Okay, any other final thoughts in regards to GBTC, DCG, et cetera, before we move on? Anybody else have very, any last things very, they want to say? Very, very, very quick. Um, yes, Valkyrie does have some shitcoin trusts. I still see Valkyrie as a, uh, a Bitcoin company. I think they just did it because they just needed that extra money. Uh, it's unfortunate, but they did it. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't find if Swan threw their hat in the ring here to be a potential GBTC manager. So that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, another thing too about this whole GBTC grayscale Genesis thing, it's it's so hilarious that Cameron and Tyler tried to spin this as some sort of like moral problem at DCG that they allowed this like Ponzi to happen. Barry like throwing at Barry's feet, saying Barry allowed it to happen and took money from school teachers and single moms, like doing this this disgusting like empathy manipulation thing when in fact it was actually them who allowed their customers who are the school teachers and the single moms to just throw all their savings into this shitcoin casino earn product it's it's so it's like it's hilarious and it's also sad and just pissed me off when i saw that it was so stupid seeing the winklevi trying to throw barry under the bus when they're just like in the same casino crap table just throwing people's money around losing yep, yep. everybody's couldn't agree money. more couldn't agree more i i read that whole letter from them it seemed like complete bullshit any final comments on the gbdc thing joe no by the way no, joe no. thanks for being here man uh, yeah no i appreciate it. i gotta get back to fiat mining in my job so uh, i appreciate alex tone brad and foss and others on the stage uh, always always a pleasure take care you bet and also thanks, big, joe. Uh, Big thank you to Greg Foss for hopping up here and sharing his uh, back or experience. Like Greg's always got an interesting take on things. We're going to be doing another. Speaking of Greg and the the dudes, we're going to be doing another um, macro strategy session here this month. And uh, there's also some really interesting stuff coming up with a fund that these guys are launching. I'm going to leave it up to them um, how they want to talk about it if they want to talk about it. But I think at some point we're probably going to probably going to talk about it a little bit other items that are going on did you guys know that over eight trillion dollars worth of transactions were completed on the bitcoin blockchain in 2022 i don't think that even includes lightning transactions 
8 trillion, 8.2 trillion, excuse me. Network effect. Powerful. Um, what else? Another really cool subject that I'd like to talk to you guys with about is this guy uh, down in, in Argentina who might be the next Bukele, basically. So really interesting article. Um, so Argentina is going to elect a new president in October of 2023. And apparently there's a pretty good chance that there's going to be a pro-Bitcoin candidate that's going to be elected as the new head of state. Uh, his name is Javier Gerardo or Gerardo Mille. I hope I'm saying that right. Currently federal deputy, deputy, excuse me, from Buenos Aires. Um, yeah, he's running. He's, I think some people think he's a, basically a diehard Bitcoiner. We'll see. Like we've seen this thing happen before where there's a politician running. They, they say they're pro-Bitcoin, but they turn out not to be. But interestingly enough, I guess some of his quotes sound legit. Oh, so for example, <laughs> this is one of his quotes. The core problem, which people must first understand, is that the central bank is a scam. It is a mechanism by which politicians cheat the good people with the inflationary tax. That doesn't sound like a poser to me. What do you guys think? Do you know anything about this dude? I mean, look, you know how I feel about these politicians and stuff, you know, and it gets to be like, uh, you know, I believe fundamentally they'll say anything they can to get their vote, to get your vote. They don't care about us. They just want your vote so that they can stay in power. I just tweeted about it yesterday. But look, this is the like, this is like where the where I, I get confused because I understand the machination of the system and I understand the politicians game and the incentives and all of that. But let's put that over there because I'm also supporting Bitcoin. And I know fundamentally that for Bitcoin to succeed as like global money, at some point it has to become all pervasive throughout the system, you know, and this includes the governments and, you know, institutions, all of that. Now the institutions came in this time in this cycle and they fucked it all up with their reapplication and their paper bullshit. But it's like, at some point it does have to get through to everybody. And we do need politicians is as long as they're going to be here. I don't want to say need, but I'm saying we, could use is probably a better word politicians uh that are you know on the mission you know so to speak but i just can't fucking trust these people and you know they come around like cockroaches whenever every you know every time there's like a little bit of feed and a little bit of you know fire on this thing here comes this next one trying to win your vote because they're on a bitcoin platform and this next upcoming U.S. election, I, I already know they're going to be talking about this shit. They're going to be using it as like a pawn. If not this next one, then the next one where it's going to be a major issue. So I don't know. I'd love to hear what you guys think, too. And hopefully it works out. I also understand, too, that my perspective here is very limited in America versus what's going on in South America and, and the different things that's happening there. At the same route, though, I'm just these politicians make me sick. <laughs> tell us how you really feel battle ant <laughs> i get it i get you i understand where you're coming from but the thing we got to remember is that the you know 
the, the people who end up in government, a lot of people use the word government and they kind of generalize and say, okay, well, government's bad or politicians are bad or whatever. These are the thing we got to remember is there are individual human beings that work in these roles and in these organizations and human beings, assuming they're not lizard people, right? Just assuming for a second, they're actually human beings. Then they have the same sort of motivations as the rest of us, you know, human behavior being the same for most people. Most people are going to run from something they think is bad and they're going to run to something they think is good. They're going to do what they think is the, in their own best interest. Right. And if somebody actually takes the time to figure out Bitcoin, it kind of makes sense. It's the one way door, right? You have to assume that there are going to be some people that end up in these roles and in these positions that are not lizard people, they're actually humans and they get it. They figured it out. That's going to happen. Right? So hopefully we have a ton of those. I think Boo Kelly's a pretty good example. My opinion. I know some people don't like him, but I don't know. seems to me like there's a lot, there's a lot of very positive things happening in El Salvador. I hope that continues to be the case. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that some of these, politicians that have been celebrated in the Bitcoin space that do speak, uh, you know, the way that we speak about it, you know, those are pretty base politicians in the way at least they're speaking about it, right? But it's like, I just, I don't know if they're tricking me. That's the problem. And the other thing is they come out, some of them we've seen already, like that guy up in New York, he was ridiculous. And also the guy down in Miami, very ridiculous where yeah you know they did come we, out did, and, but did and we learn bitcoin and the next thing you know here's my shit coin that we're supporting and here's my shit coin but, initiative but did we learn from that though i think we did like i can remember last <laughs> well i i feel like we're learning as bitcoiners i feel like we're continually learning like last year i do remember a lot of these folks they're like coming out saying pro bitcoin there was a long period of time where we had people trying to come on our show that were running for political office and we we just we deep sixed that entire thing. We didn't let any politicians come on here because we didn't know how to vet them. And uh, I'm not saying we know how to vet them now, but I'm a lot more, what's the word? I think my due diligence radar has gone up a lot higher on politicians saying that they're pro-Bitcoin. There's certain words, you know, that you can tell whether somebody gets it or not, I think. And this Bitcoin, is a function of Alex. Bitcoin is a grassroots kind of bottom up kind of technology. And it seems like the adoption for the most part that I've seen in the world um, is that bottom up uh, kind of kind of adoption. I think when we start seeing um, politicians. Um, Not so in El Salvador, though. Well, yeah, that's that's that's. I mean, the very first. So it was grassroots, and then kind of Bukele took it further, right? So, but so I, it is okay. And, and that was, that explain was how next, it was. Explain how, how it was, was grassroots in El Salvador. That was going to be my next point. Was that once you see the grassroots politician coming to the fore, that's I think when you know that this thing is 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 reaching that level and it's just not going to happen here in the United States, or I, I just don't think it is. Let, let's hear from Sovereign Horizon. Good morning. What were you saying about it was grassroots in El Salvador? Uh, well, I'm not an expert on El Salvador. I was actually going to speak on Argentina. I just wanted to comment that uh, you had Bitcoin Beach there first. Like it was a true grassroots movement, right? 
uh, and uh, it kind of grew from there. And of course, I don't know if Bukele or Legal Tender is like, you know, a net good. I think it's a net good, but I don't know if it's the way to mass adoption. You know, uh, for example, in Argentina, like Ant said, uh, it's a systematic problem. You know, we, you can't really trust the politicians. Um, is it good? Is it a net good that a, a Bitcoin politician comes along and becomes the next president? Probably, but uh, you can't trust everything they say. Of course, Bukele, he turned out to be a seemingly great guy, but uh, we can't uh, get naive and, you know, somebody's come along and before you know it, they release, you know, Argentina coin or whatever. So, Yeah, that's a fair point. It's a fair point. Like, okay, so people know. Like, I don't look at these kind of things and think to myself, oh, see, Bitcoin's arrived. Now we have mass adoption. That's not my, the way my brain works. To me, these are all markers along the road, right? There's no single thing that's going to be mass adoption for Bitcoin. These are all kind of, to me, it's all one gigantic complex system. And the more markers you have moving in one direction, the better, in my opinion, when it comes to a complex system reaching a phase transition, phase transition being mass adoption or hyper-Bitcoinization. Like, I don't, I don't view these things as the single, there's just a bunch of little things. Like one of the thing, one thing that came to mind this morning, so Sailor tweeted out uh, something about a, 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 a summarized version of his four hour long interview with Lex Friedman. That thing got 4.4 million views. Okay. These are all to me, just little adoption markers along the way. It tells you a story of what's happening. And they're all tiny little things that add up. Go ahead, Tom. Oh, um, no, real quick. I was just going to, uh, man, what the hell was I going to say? Oh, and the politicians. Yeah, so I don't trust them either. Um, I, I've seen too much of the bullshit. And uh, I will agree that with El Salvador, El Salvador is a small place. And there was a grassroots Bitcoin-only movement that went under the radar. And that movement educated Bukele and his family before the shitcoiners got in there, right? And by the time they got in there, it was too late. I don't see that happening almost anywhere else. And it certainly won't happen in a big major country. And I would rather have a politician that believes in freedom, but somehow doesn't understand Bitcoin and hates Bitcoin, than some communist talking about how he's going to take a salary in Bitcoin, like what happened in New York City. Like, uh, and I hate it when Bitcoin maximalists are, oh, what for this guy? He likes Bitcoin. I'm like, no, the guy literally hates everything else about life. Um, so that's the part of politics that I hate, how Bitcoiners jump on a bandwagon just because someone mentioned Bitcoin. Yep, you sound like Ant. <laughs> Sovereign, what do you think? Yeah, I just want to say I came to Argentina one year ago, completely fell in love with it and uh, discovered there is quite, um, like it feels like we're on the cusp of something here in regards to Bitcoin adoption. It's also like in the early days, like the guys I'm hanging out with, they're pretty hardcore and some of them are like doing developments on Lightning and stuff. Uh, it's a, um, yeah, and what I was going to say, uh, I discovered that video, that video of Javier Millet the presidential candidate that's 
actually eight months ago he said those things on TV, but I was quite blown away because if you see that video, the way he articulates it, it kind of sounds like he knows what he's talk talking about. But at the same same time, he is also a politician, right? So I'm kind of um, that kind of got, got me curious. So I started digging around in the Bitcoin communities here and the groups, and it seems like uh, Bitcoiners like him, and uh, he has twenty percent of the popular vote. So. I mean, that is, it might not sound like much, but that is quite significant, right? So, uh, in, and he is gaining traction with the young and uh, Bitcoiners, from what I could see, they said like, he's the best option we got, but we got to remember that it's the system that's broken. And, um, but yeah. Yeah, but what are his like actual policies, right? Like, is he more on the left or is he oh, more on the right? Well, you got to remember, like, Argentina has 90% inflation, so that creates room for creativity in the political uh, arena, right? And he says he's a uh, libertarian. Uh, so a libertarian with 20% Actually, of popular vote. Actually, anarcho... Um, what, did he, what did he call himself? Um, not libertarian. Where is it? Anarcho-capitalist. So let me let me a couple more of his quotes. I mean, you guys decide. I'm not trying to sway your thoughts one way or another. I'm just like I, f I find it interesting, and the reason I find it interesting is is that we all reach a certain point as Bitcoiners where the light bulb goes on. I call it the one way door, right? Once you walk through the door, you're not walking back out. You figure it out, right? So m m what I'm wondering is at what point does the light bulb go on for one of these people? And there's certain words that you would use if you understand, if the light bulb has gone on, that you probably wouldn't use even if you were a lizard person trying to con everybody. So I'll, let me read some of this stuff. He goes on to say that Bitcoin represents the return of money to its original creator, the private sector. Money is a private invention. Legal tenders are key to the politicians scamming you with the inflationary tax. Bitcoin has an algorithm that one day it will reach a certain amount and there's no more. And it can compete with other currencies. He goes on to say that central banks do not want to give up legal tender because they can scam the people with the inflationary tax. And Bitcoin is the natural reaction against the central bank scammers and to make money private again. In economies with high inflation, the scam problem is bigger. That is why, as I suggest, you can propose to close the central bank. I like that. Who, who wrote that? Who said that? That's, that's this guy, Mile, who's oh, running man. for president in me. Argentina. <laughs> yeah, so, so he's a libertarian, right? And what he says is um, basically after that, I think he said, people, if you want to use Bitcoin, you should be able to use uh, that. If you want to use gold, you should be able to use that. So so I haven't really seen any proposal of uh, going over to uh, legal tender. It's more like he wants to abolish the central bank, like that's literally what he says. We have to abolish the central bank. I mean, uh, maybe it's less crazy to hear that in a country that has almost 100% inflation, but it is quite uh, extreme, right? So so he basically says you should be able to, the people should be able to um, Yeah, but, but Salvo, did you know that Argentina's government, current government, signed a legal document with the IMF that they will not be adopting Bitcoin in order to get a loan from the IMF? Did you know that? Yeah, um, it was, uh, I think the banks do not have uh, the ability 
or had to promise to not uh, deliver Bitcoin services, I think. I don't know the details of what that entails, but I think it was the bank. Uh, so I don't know. But also, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to okay. Yeah. I'm going to ask uh, I'm going to ask yeah, sorry, Sam Callahan to weigh in here. Yes, Good morning, Sam. How are you doing? Hey. You have some thoughts hey, on this topic? Uh Argentina or the topic of just like politicians in general? All of the above. All of the above. Oh. You know, you know how we roll here. We're just riffing. Well, I think uh was it Sovereign Horizon? I think Tone and Sovereign are both correct. You know, they did get approval for a one of the biggest loans in IMF history, but part of the conditionality of that loan was that the banking system couldn't uh, have crypto services. So they had to agree to do that. So not generally Bitcoin adoption, but the banking services. But in terms of politicians, I, you know, I don't trust them at all, any of them. But the idea that they voluntarily allow for a money that that government can't control it should be applauded, I think. Um, I don't think they actually know what they're doing. I think it's a part like uh, high time preference of politicians trying to get votes to appeal to their base, uh, this new technology, trying to appear innovative. Um, whether they actually understand Bitcoin or not is another thing. Uh, but whether they realize it or not, they're letting in a Trojan horse when they do that for their short-term votes. So, you know, I think in the long run, it's actually positive whether the politician has good intentions or is actually a Bitcoiner or not, they're letting in this Trojan horse. And so that's kind of, kind of how I see it. Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking. Like, is he, is he using Bitcoin, you know, to gain traction amongst the young? Uh, I think so. He wants to win the election in 2023. That's his priority, right? So, but is, is it a net bad that he does that and maybe educates a couple of people along the way? I don't know. Like, it can't possibly get worse. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, the very fact that <clears throat> if you were to tell me 10 years ago, you would see any person running for president talking about abolishing a central bank, even in a country like Argentina, I just find that mind blowing. I mean, the fact that we're having a conversation about money as a human species, when for so long, so, you know, when I, when I was working in the, in the gold industry, we used to talk about the fact that the whole system is based upon dishonest money. It was like a lone wolf in the wilderness crying out. No, and, and nobody gave a shit. Nobody was like, well, whatever. But nowadays, it's like a discussion that people are having, and I think it's fantastic. It's what we need. So all the little pieces going in the in the one direction you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a um, there's a form of analysis, and I forget the name of it, but there's there's a, a form of in, intelligence analysis that basically you you start with a base point. And then you look at the markers along the way. And if the markers change direction, well, then you can assume that possibly your final analysis has changed. But if the markers keep stacking up, moving in the same direction, you're probably on track. Um, and this is uh, it's something that Jim Rickards talks about a lot. I, I'm sorry, I forget the name of what it's called. But th this to me, that's what I'm talking about. They're just little markers that keep stacking up, moving in the same direction. Well, I'm the other systems moving in the wrong direction too at the same time, especially in Argentina. 
91% of inflation. Can you imagine? Like, I feel like inflation in the United States of America is crazy right now. Like my, my food bills, you know, my annual expenses for groceries is up like more than 40%. I don't know about you guys. Have you seen the price of eggs lately? <laughs> it's crazy. So what happens when you're in a nation with 90% inflation? I mean, extrapolate that out over five years. What happens to your life? This is, this is what led up to Weimar Germany, guys. This kind of stuff. Brandon, good morning. I assume you have something you want to share. Yeah, good morning, guys. Good new year. Good new year. Took a little hiatus too, like Lisa said earlier. So good to see you, everybody. Um, and uh, just popping up the Jim Rickard saying, I think you're probably referring to is the Bayesian forecasting, like the CIA. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yep. So that was a great conversation, though. I mean, the Joe stuff earlier, the Foss stuff, um, excellent stuff, and uh, everyone's raring to go for 2023. So awesome stuff. And I second everything uh, Ant, Sam, Tone, everyone has said about the politicians. All right. We've covered a lot of ground today. Um, we're pretty much near the end of the show, so like open forum. If anybody has in the... Uh, in the audience, if you've got questions for any of these guys you want to come up and ask, you can. If you want to ask in the Telegram group, it's t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. We'll do some open Q&A for a few minutes for the last 10 minutes or so before we wrap. Oh, by the way, Sam, I'm glad you're here. Earlier we were talking about GBDC. And you had gone, you know, you did a deep dive. You did a research paper on this. If you want, we can nest it. We also did a um, an episode of Cafe Bitcoin deep diving this. I'm I'm recalling from that discussion one of the options that you had mentioned was that they could decide to redeem in kind, meaning they could redeem shares in Bitcoin. And we had Joe in here earlier. Joe Carlos was saying that that's not the case; that the SEC won't allow that. So I'm I wanted to try and get your input on that. What your thoughts were? Yeah, well, uh, in the charter, it's basically up to whoever the sponsor is to decide if they decide to liquidate the trust, if it's in kind or not. Um, I don't know. I don't know what Joe is saying, but it becomes a logistical nightmare. Like, how do you do that? And a lot of these uh, GBTC shareholders hold it in tax advantaged accounts. And so you can't actually hold spot Bitcoin or anything like that. And um, so it would just become a logistical nightmare. And it's up to the sponsor. Um, to decide whether it's in kind or not in the language of the charter charter and again joe's a lawyer so <laughs> but in the language of the charter it says uh, you know cash or bitcoin but it's at the discretion of the sponsor from the way that i read it um but it's definitely more likely that it's not in kind but to say that it's not possible you know i don't know that language in the charter makes it seem like it is but again, just a complete logistical nightmare to do that. That's sure. I agree with that. Like, so there's going to be that, you know, they would have to figure out the logistics and they'd have to figure out the rails to, to do the redemptions and all that. But, but we were just kind of walking through the various different scenarios as to, you know, what might happen there. And 
what the what the possibilities were and uh i didn't i didn't know that I, that's what i thought i thought it was i thought you had mentioned before that it was part of the charter charter that the sponsor gets to decide and joe joe's what, what he was saying is that the sec wouldn't allow that to happen so i guess we'll i guess we'll see what did, what did joe say about the sec i'm just curious um uh, just like they wouldn't let it happen like what, what was his argument yeah yeah he said I, I, can, I can probably answer that uh so basically uh because gbtc is not set up as a as an etf uh it's set up as a like a pink sheet they can't actually uh like redeem the underlying asset they would need completely different status on their product so it's some kind of form at something B, I think he said. Uh, so they'd have to do this filing and they would need to get SEC's permission and he's 99% confident they're not going to give him the permission. Oh, Reg Emmer exemption. Is that Reg Emmer exemption? Is that what you're talking about? No, something else. Different thing. Okay. Yeah, I mean, to me, like anything that requires SEC approval, it becomes political too where they don't want to seem favorable to yeah. this crypto and, industry. And since they're suing the SEC, they're kind of on their shit list. So I doubt anything would get approved. Yeah. Well, see, yeah, this exactly. is the part that this is the part that I'm I'm trying to clarify because I do remember Sam saying this from the last time we deep dove this subject. And if it's already in the charter and they've already filed the charter with the SEC, which they would have had to do, then it's already been accepted. So I don't understand what the problem is. Well, and and the reason why I have these questions, you know, back in the day, I did, I did run a gold fund. We did have physical redemption. And so we filed it with the stipulation that you could redeem physically. And it was in there and it was accepted by the SEC. So I don't understand necessarily what the problem here is. Well, they would have to amend that charter and then the SEC would have to approve that. And so in the middle of a lawsuit for the SEC to do that, as well as, you know, you well, do they have to admit, do they have to amend it? If it literally says it's at the discretion of the sponsor, it's already the language is already in there. No, no, this is a different thing with the reg exemption is what I'm talking about right now, where they would have to redeem the underlying assets at a one to one ratio and be able to issue and redeem GBTC shares at the same time to allow this to happen. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, so but, have, but they, I mean, theoretically they don't, they don't have to do that. They can just say they're, they're not, they're not issuing new shares and they're redeeming them. And then therefore it's the definition of not at the same time. Yes. Sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. No, Cause I Greg Foss is Greg Foss's point is, is that, you know, if somebody wants to come in and buy $5 billion worth of Bitcoin, the way they do it is just get the majority of the of the GBDC shares, change the sponsor, and redeem. Then they get the Bitcoin at a huge discount. No. Yeah, that'd be a that'd be like a I don't know what you would call that. It'd be like a takeover. But I, I I love the Valkyrie who just kind of like raised their hand up. Valkyrie's like another fund that does ETF. They're like, yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> like, so that's you. Right. And obviously, you want this like cash cow, and so that just like, cracked me up. But um. Yeah, man, that's why there's this like lawsuit going on with Fir Tree as well. I mean, they're basically saying that there's no legal reason for them to not allow redemptions right now. Um, they're just like holding on to this ETF, uh, you know, dream that they have because that's the best case scenario for for Grayscale. Um, so that's kind of where the where GPTC shareholders as well as like this Fir Tree hedge fund. Um, 
are saying that they're in the wrong for, for not allowing redemptions because they're, they're being selfish for their own, uh, for their own gains. Did we get your um, article nested, the one you did on GBDC? For those of you who are GBDC, like you're interested, Sam did a really in-depth research article. And uh, if you want to go back and look at our podcast history, you can catch the pod that we that we did. We dug in deep for about two hours. It was really good. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just say like everybody, a lot of people went to GBTC because of like convenience. They didn't want to like take self-custody and they thought it was too hard. And yeah, there were also reasons like, you know, they couldn't access Bitcoin in their 401ks and stuff like that. And I get that. But there's a lot of people who bought it just because it was easy. But I think they're finding now that there was a, there's a reason there. It was so convenient. There's a lot of underlying risks. And um, now they're realizing that. So there's nothing, uh, there's no substitution for just holding spot Bitcoin in your own self-custody because you don't have to worry about any of this bullshit. Yes. And take custody of your keys. Hey, Sam, or, uh, you know, Tony, Neil, anyone up here, um, is there any, you know, I'm trying to think of how to say it, but in, in the vein of GBTC and, and everyone kind of looking for that spot ETF over the last year or two, did, did you know, SBF and, and FTX and them, you know, again, conjecture, conspiracy, whatever, possibly being in bed with Gensler or whatever, it, you know, how real is that possibility that that was what was holding that up? Is there any link or connection there? Have you, uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I would say it's the other way around. I don't think SPF was holding up uh, the Bitcoin spot, but the way FTX imploded, that probably delayed FTX, the, the spot ETF for Bitcoin by a few years because now there's even less trust in the idiots running uh, these shitcoin companies, right? So um, that's kind of my view on it. Yeah, I'll just second that. Like, if the SEC actually responded to Grayscale a couple of weeks ago, and I read it, and they, it's all about like market manipulation is the reason why they don't approve it now. Um, and obviously, FTX kind of bolsters that argument, even though it's not exactly about Bitcoin. You know, that's not that's nuanced and for these regulators and, and they can just say like, Oh, look at FTX, uh, you know, this market's manipulated and, you know, obviously most people are just going to eat that up. So I think it's actually the opposite. I agree with Tom. Don't, don't you think though, that, that the, um, that there was going to be potential legislation that was going to uh, impact the regulation of the, of the market that now has gone away because, it's such a um, it's such a hot topic. It's such a hot button that the politicians are going to stay away from it. And isn't Grenzler going to have to come in now because he can't slough this off to say, oh, well, the legislators are going to deal with this? I think Gensler is going to be losing his job soon. So I don't think that matters. Yeah, and from the 
maybe I should have given more context to you just from a, a layman, you know, a jocks perspective, you're looking at it and just saying, you know, last year or two, everyone's, you know, when's this five ETF coming? You've got the futures, you know, getting approved. You got, you know, the short uh, ETF or whatever it is. You got these things being approved and everyone's just sitting there, you know, like what's going on? How come there's no spot ETF? And then all of a sudden you see the, the tides going out, Sam's, you know, blowing everything up. And then, you know, from the layman's perspective, the average guy you know, I'm saying they're like, oh, like that makes sense. Are they guys in bed together? And this is why that was the reason I was coming with that. I'm sure the average person is, is just thinking that. So I appreciate you guys uh, answering that. Oh, I just want to throw one final comment in here. Like, like everything that we talked about today, like potentially someone else becoming uh, the new, uh, I guess, most of the word that would be used beneficiary or the new custodian, not custodian, the new, uh, well, Sponsor. whatever. Sponsor, Sponsor. Right. look, by the time that happens, we're talking, if we're lucky, one year, probably two years, right? By that time, we're going to have a Bitcoin bull market. We're going to have another halving. And when Bitcoin hits a bull market, the GBEC discount is going away. And it is very likely it's going to become a premium again because everyone hates GBTC so much. No one is going to buy into the trust. No one's going to give Barry Silbert any more money. And when Bitcoin is breaking all-time high and heading towards 100K and higher, everyone's going to be buying GBTC. And it's going to be the opposite effect once again. Wow. So this pendulum is going to swing the other way long before Anyone is going to take over Barry's uh, control. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. We're counting down right now to the next having. There is that. The next wave, I mean, there's going to be a crap ton of new investors who've never heard of any of this stuff before. Like, we're in this room talking about it right now. I do. <laughs> well, and, then all, and, then, and then all the people that sold GBTC because they panicked and they were scared of this discount, you know, the 30% discount, that they're going to watch GBTC swing into a 20% premium. And then they're going to be even more pissed because the one thing I know in my almost 10 years in Bitcoin is that whatever can frustrate you the most in Bitcoin is going to happen to X. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, I do think the discount will, will go away or like be reduced in a bull market but that's also if there isn't more competition that comes into the market with lower fees and different products which we've seen like a spattering of them come over the last year or two so that could take demand away from gbtc if there's just more options for people Now, if Barry Silbert wants to, you know, score some brownie points with the community, he can lower those fees to 1% instead of 2 100%. 100%. But he's totally cash-strapped right now. So <laughs> I do, I do uh, what Brandon was saying with um, the futures ETF. I mean, it's, this is what I think, like, you know, sometimes with the not approving a spot Bitcoin ETF, that it, it is something about, you know, treasuries whispering in, in Gensler's ear or something and saying that they don't want that because, you know, the amount of spot Bitcoin buying pressure that an ETF would have. And I think that would be an extremely popular ETF. I mean, it would probably break records um, when it, once it opened. Oh, yeah. And I think it so, would crush GLD. And at one point, GLD was the largest ETF ever in human history. And I think uh, a spot Bitcoin ETF on a United States exchange would crush it. Crush it. Yeah. Kind of unfortunately, but yes, it would. You're right. It's not spot Bitcoin, but um, it's kind of paper Bitcoin. But also, like, the fact that they 
approve those Bitcoin futures, you know, that's what the lawsuit with Grayscale is. Like you can't, if it's the same underlying asset, you can't uh, have different like rules for them for like, you can't approve a Bitcoin futures and not approve a spot Bitcoin ETF because it's the same underlying asset. And futures contracts are inherently more expensive to manage. They don't track the underlying spot price as well. And they're more subject to price manipulation. And this is what Fidelity came out with a lead lag analysis that they found that the Bitcoin futures markets leads the spot markets. So if somebody was to manipulate the Bitcoin market, which is the reason why they say they're not going to approve the spot Bitcoin ETF, they would actually manipulate the futures market because it leads um, the spot market. And so even the SEC and their response, they looked at 18 of these lead lag analysis because uh, obviously Fidelity is a little biased because they're trying to get an ETF approved themselves. But they looked at 18 of these lead lag analysis and their conclusion was uh, it was inconclusive. That's what they, that's what they said. Um, because if they said otherwise that the futures led the spot, then their whole argument for not approving a spot Bitcoin ETF is just done. So, um, you know, I, I think approving the futures ETF was just complete bullshit. And they even approved like an inverse ETF uh, features. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just even SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce is dumbfounded by the commission's resistance to a spot Bitcoin ETF. She called it legendary at this point. So there's, there seems to be something else going on in the background that we don't know about, you know. All right. Well, we're, pre we're pretty much at the end of the show. Uh, any closing comments in regards to all this? We'll let you guys go and then we'll hit uh, final closing announcements and we'll wrap. All right. I guess we'll do it there. Don't forget tomorrow we've got Fran Finney coming on. Gonna be an ALS fundraiser. Super excited for that. Uh, the running with Bitcoin challenge with Asher Garfinkel, Fran Finney. Don't miss it. It's going to be really cool. Um, also, just really quick before we, we close things out, Swan IRA is live. We're going to be moving to a one-click account setup pretty soon. That's coming. It's not live yet, but you can do a Swan IRA now. Also, Swan Advisor Services is also live. We are onboarding RIAs and financial advisors now. If you have an RIA or a financial advisor and they can't buy Bitcoin for your portfolio yet, have them talk to us. We'll get them set up. We'll get them up to speed. We'll... Uh, <laughs> Do whatever's necessary to educate them and get them uh, going, and we'll get you guys some Bitcoin in your portfolio. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. We do this every day, guys, Monday through Friday, start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern, roll for two hours, talk about all things Bitcoin live on Twitter spaces. If you can't catch the live show, catch the pod on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. You can throw me or Swan a follow to be notified of when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of this show, my crew, and Peter Sats for Life, producer Jacob. I'm your host, Alex Danzig. I work with Swan. If you want to know more, shoot me a DM. Happy to help you. Thanks to all the speakers, as usual, Tone, Sam, Joe from earlier, Greg from earlier, everybody who comes in here on the regular. Throw these guys a follow. Appreciate you guys and admire you for taking your personal time to teach people about this bright orange future. And this is what we call getting on the mission. Let's go. I love Thanks all you guys. guys. Everybody go out there. Have a great day today. And crush it. Have a good one.